episode two of our Allison Park Leadership Podcast. I'm Dave. And my name's Jeff. And we're excited to dive into some more stuff with you. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we talking about this week? Yeah. So of course, we're uh, father and son, and we both are on the same staff at Allison Park Church. Uh, I have been pastor here for 28 years, and Dave is actually uh, 28. He actually was born the Friday before I became the interim pastor here at Allison Park Church. And so, yeah, so uh, when I look at Dave, I see how old my ministry life is at this particular church. And one of the things that I get asked a lot, because we, Melody and I married 32 years, we um, have five children, now three grandchildren. Uh, All of our kids love God. All of them are serving somewhere in ministry, uh, whether it's on a staff or it's just out of their own passion. And a lot of times pastors will ask me, so how do you do this? How do you raise kids in ministry? What's the secret sauce that makes it all work? And um, since since we're interacting together, I thought what I would do, and I would ask you that question, Dave. So you grew up as a pastor's kid, mm-hmm. and you didn't grow up hating God or hating <laughs> church. That's right? true. Yeah. You, from a very early age, got involved. Um, what do you think some of the key factors were? that made it possible for you to engage like you have uh, in terms of being in a pastor's home? It's a great question. You know, and, and I think, um, man, my experience was was super unique compared to other stories I've heard. I mean, I've met other kids who've grown up in pastors' homes, and, you know, I know that for a lot of them it was really rough. Um, for me, it was, I mean, it was all I knew, I guess, so it was pretty normal. I, I never had anything that stood out to me with it, but... I think, so some keys for me, I think one of the things that was a big deal was that you always brought us along as kids and made sure that we were included in what you were doing and almost even like would ask us for permission. So for example, um, I, I know that a favorite thing of pastors to do in their messages is to use examples of their kids, right? And a lot of times their kids are just like, oh no. And here's the reality, like especially for pastors, if you are not the, the kid of a pastor, but you're not preaching and you have kids, like everybody will stop and say something to you. Oh, I wonder which one of the five kids said this particular thing or got grounded for that mistake, whatever it might be. And they'll ask you, was it you? And you're like, oh my gosh. Like a lot of times, you know, especially if it wasn't a big deal, I wouldn't know in advance. But if there was ever anything that you thought was potentially embarrassing or something that I would have to, you know, have lots of conversations about you'd be like, Hey, can, is this okay? Like what, what is okay if I talk about this? What's okay if I don't? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that brings up the whole question is you are sort of growing up in a fishbowl, fishbowl, so to speak. Everybody sees your life. Everybody sees your family. There are, there are some parts about that that are advantages like, like, uh, your brother Caleb, um, at some point in time after we got our new cafe at the church showed up asking for free stuff because (laughs) after all i am the pastor's son (laughs) so sometimes i believe the quote was i'm the prince of apc my dad built this church brick by brick (laughs) he's ridiculous if you don't know caleb yeah but so i mean there's that side of it where you feel like you have some advantages and then there's the downside which is that everybody's judging you i mean that sounds kind of harsh they're they're not judging you like 
how horrible you are, but they are evaluating you because they want you to sort of hit a certain standard because there's an expectation because I'm talking all the time that you should be living the life. Did you ever feel pressured like that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember I, I never even knew what a pastor's kid, in a sense, was other than the fact that my dad was a pastor until uh, probably when I was almost in middle school. It might have been late elementary. I was probably fifth grade. Um, and I was I was in this award ceremony, and my coach, you know, had said something like, "Oh, well, for a PK, you know, he's." And I, was, I went home and I was like, "What the heck is a PK? <laughs> I don't even know what she's talking about," you know. Um, and later, started to, started to recognize and realize that people around me expected me to be different. And granted, you know, I was sheltered from a lot of the stuff that other kids experienced. My best friend grew up watching horror movies when he was eight years old. You know, I grew up watching, you know, 80s Christian shows like (laughs) Salty the Singing Songbook, you know, big blue costumed, uh, yeah, really random. That was all we had. We'd watch them over and over again. Um, But yeah, I I, I would definitely say I felt um, always under the microscope. And to, to a large degree, I think at this point in my life, it's an advantage um, because, you know, my wife who did not grow up and, and you know, a pastor's home exactly, um, I think for her, she's felt a new weight of like, everybody's always looking at us, you know, and, and um, just the, the public eye of like ministry is not just a job. It's kind of a lifestyle. I think it's something that I grew up with and it's a pressure and a weight. But I think because I grew up in that, I have... Not immunity to that, but I'm I'm used to it a little bit more. So I I appreciate that part. So was anybody ever mean? Ah, uh, I mean I think all middle schoolers are mean. You know okay. what I mean? So like uh, like anything that could be used as a flaw, even if it's not a flaw, has and you know will be used yeah. by middle. Especially now that I work with middle schoolers, right. I mean they're savages. So so but, being a PK was just one thing that they could use against you. Like maybe any anybody else would have stuff. But did you ever have adults kind of? Anybody that was, because these are the stories you hear, you know, you hear somebody said, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You're the pastor's son. How can you act like this? And that's part of what makes sometimes either, I think pastor's uh, kids will feel bittered, embittered either because someone has criticized them or they hear somebody criticizing their mom and dad. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll even expand that. I think that probably the, the – and you grew up in a pastor's home as well, right, so you right. can understand this. I think the real pressure, even more than other people saying things, is the weight of having to be like you know your, your parents. I mean just as an example for me, you know, not only is my dad a pastor, but my grandpas on both sides of the family have been pastors. In fact, my mom's – my mom's grandpa was a pastor, so I'm a third generation and a fourth generation, depending on the side you look at it. Um, and so I think the weight of, you know, of pressure of the legacy can kind of, it sometimes almost feel suffocating. Like if I'm not perfect, I'm going to be a failure, or can I carry this weight? And I think that probably that's some of what drives certain pastors' kids away is feeling like they're never going to be able to live up to that standard. Mm -hmm. You know, I think because of that, like critical words or, you know, opinions can be amplified because it's not just, you know, when when opinion coming from your father or your mother, but it could be really in some senses feel like the family legacy that you might not be carrying to the full extent. So, so let's talk real practically then. So, um, what practical things can a parent do who's in ministry to both protect shield and develop their young person if they happen to be in a home 
where the you know the parents are, are somehow leading somewhere, whether that's as a lead pastor or on staff. What can what are the practical things that can be done to make this experience maximized for the best and minimized for the worst? I think one of the biggest things is you really have to highlight the the, the big um, wins and and the fun stuff about ministry. Because man, as a pastor, any any pastor or person in ministry can relate to this. Like ministry sometimes is so hard. Yeah. I mean, sometimes things explode and you had nothing to do with it, but because you're around broken people, you're getting the, the splash zone, you know, coming back up on you. And so I think that it's possible to live with that being the main thing that's vocalized to the family. You're at church and you're in pastor mode and hey everybody, how you doing? And you're talking to someone and you're like, you know, trying to focus on what they're saying, but you're not even, you know, totally following. And it takes all of your engagement just just to be that pastoral figure. So I think when you come home, it's probably easy and natural to want to let your hair down and disengage. But if the main things you talk about with ministry are the problems or the weight or the burden, then kids will see it like that. Yeah. You know, and and I, I think that you did a good job of allowing us to see the fun parts and the yeah, so you celebrate the wins, the successes, the life change, the missions experiences. I remember coming back from some missions trips and telling you stories about things that I'd seen and watching your eyes kind of widen because you heard a miracle story. And so it's that counterbalance of the of the positives to concentrate on. I think there's I think there's another thing that I attempted to do. I don't know if you recognize this was even happening at the time, but a lot of times, especially when you got to be teenagers. I would if if I was preaching on something that uh, I wanted to find out what a younger person might think of my topic. I would actually involve you in my sermon prep time. I would mm. ask you questions. What do you think? This is what I'm going to say on the weekend. What do you think about this? And uh, do you remember any of those? Moments? I, I do now. Yeah, now that you say that, I wouldn't have been able to to you know recall that without you. But and I, yeah, I don't even have, have more of a memory than just I remember you asking questions like what would somebody your age think about this? Yeah. yeah. And then oftentimes you would weigh in and you would inform what I was saying. And I noticed this, which was that you would own the message that I was preaching a little bit more that weekend because you felt like you had kind of built it with me, <laughs> which I think another thing it's so I, you guys were homeschooled, which is, I guess, up until what eighth grade. And because of the homeschool dynamic, you were also looking for any kind of socialization. And so <laughs> a lot of times you would also come to church with me because you just didn't want to be in the house anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and you would participate in ministry from from like an early age too. Like you helped set up and tear down or you got involved with kids ministry after you got into middle school. And I think that was a big deal too where you became an owner. It was a big deal. But the thing, the, the counterbalancing statement is I never felt like I was necessarily the pack mule. You know, I think like <laughs> if you're trying to find like volunteers, it's like, well, my kids are here, you know, like tear down those chairs. It, it, can, it can be discouraging. And, and honestly, I think... Like one of the biggest things in ministry that I realized was so difficult is recruiting people. I mean, it's it's a huge, maybe the huge part of ministry, mobilizing, you know, normal people that are coming in the congregation to be a part of the ministry. But sometimes it's hard. And if you've already done other stuff, you don't really feel like, I don't know, I, I, I don't have kids, so I'm theorizing, but like just being able to, you know, Hey, my kids are right here. I'm going to have them do this. That can also, I think, create resentment. So there is sort of a double-edged sword, like giving opportunities and pushing in the right direction to be a big part of the ministry that's happening, I think is very, you know, 
Yeah, and and I Very think good. so. Uh, one of the guys on our staff, Joe Schaefer, who's my executive pastor, was the children's pastor for a long time. He had as a strategy to take students who were in junior high and high school and engage them in the children's ministry. And he recruited, and I don't think when he recruited you guys, I don't think you were seeing yourself as anything other than, oh, Joe really wants me to help him. Mm-hmm. And then Joe created this kind of climate where being in the children's ministry became part of a group. And then he would have these famous Joe parties where he'd have people over his house and all the volunteers would come. And I remember you saying things like, hey, I have to be at church because Joe needs me to do this. It wasn't like you associated it with me saying no, to you, Dave, you need to volunteer in ministry as right. I should. Yeah. It was more like, this is really cool. I have value. I'm contributing. I'm a a part of something. I'm in a community. I'm sort of an insider, and your ministry experience almost separated from me in many yeah. ways at that well, stage. And I think you know you have a win as a parent whenever you're not saying my dad's church. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? Because because I mean, I think for me, even even now, and obviously now I actually am, am a partial owner in the sense of I have a ministry that I'm making happen on a weekly basis, but. I think it's a big win whenever someone doesn't just see it as their parents' church or the family thing that they're obligated to do, but it's really their, you know, their baby. And there's a defensiveness about something that somebody <laughs> criticizes, and there's excitement if there's a win at all in the church because it's their church. Right. You know, I think that ownership was created, and Joe did it famously on a super low budget. You know, I know that a lot of people listening to this might be like, "Well, I can't spend tons of money on a party." Joe would buy nacho cheese and chips from Sam's Club for. 10 bucks, yeah. you know, and he'd have 30 teenagers at his house and we'd just play football in his yard or whatever, whatever it was. Um, but he just made an intentional investment into us so that it did create ownership, even from a young age. And that was huge for me. And it really rooted in you then. And then I guess the final thing that I would sort of add into this equation is at some point you had genuine experience with God. Yeah. Like you got saved, you got filled with the Holy Spirit, you went on missions experiences, you came back with your own story. Right. What What were some of those key moments for you? Yeah, man. So there's really one that stands out to me a lot. Um, you know, I, I I didn't really have anything super crazy happen to me as, as a kid. I mean, I grew up in a good home. Um, I remember I won my first mission trip to Mexico when I was 11. Um, but my first... I would say major defining moment whenever I knew in my heart of hearts, like I can't do anything else in my life except for ministry, you know, and I know that that's not the path for every pastor's kid. But for me, this was a hugely defining moment was my first missions trip with Mission SOS where we went to, to Nicaragua. It was actually kind of a crazy story because my grandpa, you know, your yeah, my mom's dad was a missionary there. So I was disappointed when I knew I had to go there originally. We were supposed to go to Africa and then... It was near a time when the U.S. was bombing, you know, terrorists near there. And so the trip got canceled. We moved to Nicaragua. But during that, you know, two-week period when I was there, um, I saw incredible miracles. There was a guy that I I got to pray for. And I didn't have a lot of confidence or faith that anything was going to happen because he had a cataract growing over his entire pupil. Like, if you imagine seeing an entirely white eyeball because there's a growth that's covered the iris and the pupil and all that. That's what he looked like. And he was asking us to pray for him. And... I mean, in the course of 30 seconds, I watched the thing shrink away um, until he was healed. And then, I mean... And you was, were the one doing the praying, right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like somebody beside you or the pastor. You you had you were in the prayer line laying hands exactly. on Exactly, yeah. And and, and it, it was me and, and a couple of people all at the same time, but I was a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> you know? Because I, I had only ever seen one or two 
moves of God, you know, that I could remember as far as big healings. And a lot of times you have like this generational thing, like Kevin Cookta, who was in a wheelchair and then got up to walk after that. And that was like the story that I had. of God still heals sometimes, (laughs) every great once in a while. But seeing that over and over and over again on that missions trip, and even just the thousands of people that gave lives to Jesus, um, it just made the Bible come alive to me in a new way. And I, I had this burden of there is nothing else that I would be satisfied with in life other than pursuing the spread of the gospel. You know, I, I would say that was my defining moment that I can think of. Yeah, so it's getting getting your kids into environments where they have experiences with God, where they can be used by God, where they can belong to something, where they feel valued and needed, where you know you protect them to some degree from being harshly judged. Uh, you you include them in the journey. You celebrate the wins. It's not all negatives. Um, I think that you know. We've also been blessed, I think, in your tenure, in the 28 years of being at Allison Park Church, we've always had a fairly healthy culture. Mm -hmm. There have been ups and downs and painful moments, but overall, it hasn't been, it hasn't been, uh, you know, something that you have to witness this horrible season. I know that if you're a pastor and your children have walked with you through that, that that's a unique challenge that we're not even addressing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there are some basic principles that come with. And I think, too, then, you know, making sure that you spend time, that you do the fun stuff as a family, that your whole life is not always ministry, uh, that you celebrate what your kids are doing that are not related to church and ministry and you yeah. and you take vacations together and you do the things that make family life healthy. I think having a good marriage is really good, you know, yeah. it's all, yeah. all of those baseline things. But I think just being intentional um, about trying to make your young person connect in with the church environment is important. Well, yeah, and, and what you're saying, I mean, some of those things are basic parenting principles that we would all preach about. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, when when you feel the weight of, I don't know if I'm really a success in ministry at all right now. I mean, I've been in this five years strong or however long you've been in your church and I haven't seen much growth and I probably need to work harder or buckle down or I'm probably letting God down or my church down because I haven't seen blank, whatever it is, that's the definition of success. At at, at those points, it's easy to not go to the baseball or football games. You know, it's easy to not go to the, the, the school dance or whatever. The, like the, the, the little things that show parental support where family does come first. But I think just even you establishing uh, a priority of a healthy family culture before a successful, quote unquote, ministry was huge for me. I knew I was always more important than ministry in the long run. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, no, seriously. I mean, that was always our desire to so have have you say that. That's really important because that is always a tension because ministry does pull, pull, pull. It's just always trying to get you to spend more time because there are just so many needs that people have. And so being able to make sure that, that that's a priority is huge. So I guess I would just say, in closing, I know we, we're getting to the end of this podcast, but if you are a pastor or leader in a church and you got to realize nobody's perfect. No one's a perfect leader. No one's a perfect pastor. No one's a perfect parent. We all do our best. And if you do everything perfectly, it doesn't mean that your young person will always make the right choices. And if you do things imperfectly, somehow, sometimes you get graced 
and your young person still makes all the right choices. <laughs> and it, so it's it's really it's not it, you you are creating atmospheres and helping for growth, but it's not totally up to you. And God's a redeeming God, and He can redeem our mistakes. And I think the key word here is just to be intentional, to try to learn and grow, to see your family be able to be well established for the future. And we got about 30 seconds left, but just quickly, if someone is not yet a parent, but they're in ministry and are looking to create that kind of family culture, what are some tips? I would just say the best thing you could do is get around somebody that you think has a healthy family culture and associate with that older couple and watch what they do because I think some things are better caught than taught. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. See you next episode.